When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Want a great way to recognize your employees? Check out Custom Inc. Have you ever thought about doing something special for your customers? Custom Inc. can do that too. And wouldn't your team love some custom gear? Custom Inc. is ready. Custom Inc. is your go-to custom gear partner with great customer service, quality products, and all-in pricing along with personalized help when you need it and an easy-to-use website when you don't. Plus, everything is 100% satisfaction guaranteed. Check out what we can do for your business at custominc.com. Hi, this is Tony Cotty, and you're listening to the We Are West End podcast. You are listening to the We Are West Ham podcast with me, Will Pugh, Tom Edwards and James Jones. And since we last spoke, West Ham United's accounts have been released. Revenue is down, but don't worry. The interest charged by David Gold and David Sullivan has remained the same. In fact, there seems to have been a slight increase. Elsewhere, fans are up in arms at David Moyes for not going at it, for not going for it, excuse me, at Manchester United. And Tom Edwards has been tweeting garbage once again. Lads, it's wonderful to see you. I've already said I'm a little bit ratty already tonight. I've got a feeling, judging by our conversations during and since the Manchester United game, there's going to be a couple of classic West Ham, we are West Ham, head-to-heads between. And uh, you know what? Normally I feel a little bit more edgy towards Jonesy because he said something or sometimes (laughs) it's Tom. But now I'm looking at both of you on the screen and I'm thinking I'm not in the mood for either of these blokes tonight. But James, we'll start with you as ever. How's things? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Um, It's nice to see that, you know, even though we're getting ever closer to all getting our freedom back after COVID, you're still grumpy as ever. Um, there's always something to moan about with you, isn't there, mate? Um, it's just you two. <laughs> yeah, I know. It must be. It must be. But yeah, other than that, all good, mate. Yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty good. Yeah, a little bit frustrated by by the weekend's action, but I'm sure we'll get into that. But But yeah, other than that, all good. Pleased to hear it, mate. Yeah, pleased to hear it. Thomas, uh, yeah, I, th- I think uh, there's, there's a little special bit of my energy reserved for you this evening, so don't worry about that. But how's things? How's life treating you? 
Yeah, all, all good, mate. I've just about um, calmed down. Tempers got back to level. level Sobered up, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that'll be it. Yeah, yeah. Maybe water for beer this time, these this day. But uh, all good, mate. Yeah, it was a little bit frustrated on the weekend. The dust has settled, and um, as tends to happen, a little bit overboard on some comments. But I still stick by uh, a few of the ones I'm sure we'll get onto. But yeah, a little bit frustrated, but just mellowing and out just in time for the weekend. A little bit frustrated that maybe the understatement of the week so far. Granted, we are only at Tuesday night, but uh, brilliant stuff. Well, lads, it's, uh, it is good to see you, really, aside underneath all my innate grumpiness. Uh, I am pleased to be back here on the We Are West Ham podcast once again. We had a brilliant pack show last week. Emotional stuff, obviously, with the departure of Mark Noble and then he starts at Manchester United and any sense of uh, sentiment or emotion seemed to drain away from most West Ham fans quite quickly. Uh, the fact that him actually starting a Premier League game or especially one at Old Trafford riled up quite a lot of people and his performance didn't do a lot to assuage any of those worries. But before we get into all of that stuff, we'll do a bit of housekeeping like we usually do. Like I said, we've already mentioned some of Tom's tweets. Uh, we've covered it in the Jekyll and Hyde section the last few weeks. We'll, of course, be doing the same again tonight. But you can follow the podcast on Twitter at we are underscore West Ham, as well as me and the lads. James is at by James Jones. I'm at William Pugh underscore. Tom is at Tom underscore Edwards, but change the O for a zero in Tom. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. Scroll down to the description of this podcast and you can uh, hit the link to our youtube channel there and you find you can watch the show me and james and tom or uh, make a little bit of an effort on uh, for in front of the camera as well believe it or not uh, so you can go and watch those there we've got a couple of brilliant interviews coming up in tonight's podcast uh, with david bick football finance expert you see his name all over the place in the papers and sky sports news on the radio stations if ever there's a, uh, a conversation to be had about football finance. David is one of the first names on the team sheet, along with Kieran Maguire, who we had on earlier in the season. So we'll chat to David a bit later on about West Ham's accounts that were released. We'll also have some Man United reaction from me and the lads, Tom, giving it to Jacob Steinberg, former We Are West Ham guest uh, on Twitter after the game. Jacob had the audacity to suggest that people losing the plot over David Moyes going to Old Trafford and losing 1-0 might be a little bit over the top. And uh, he got the customary pile on and even Tom Edwards uh, with one of the perhaps the perhaps the most Tom Edwards tweet there's ever been. So, uh, yeah, we'll have some some reaction on the Man United game. The part two will be the interview with David. We'll have the Betway charity bets. No wins at Old Trafford. Unfortunately, it was a bit of a drab game uh, a few of a couple of us got um, one or two elements of our three bet selections but uh, unfortunately no cigar we'll have our bets for the Arsenal game and for the opposition view I'm delighted to say that joining us is a former West Ham United FA Cup winner and ex-Arsenal scout as well Pat Holland star of the 1975 FA Cup winning side it's 46 years since Pat won the cup with West Ham, 36 years, uh, 30 years, sorry, since his last appearance for the club. So we'll be asking him how he looked back on it now. Also, what he makes of uh, the chances, West Ham's chances against Arsenal, his old employer, at the weekend. So great to have Pat on. Name that game. I'm in the hot seat. Quizmaster this week. So James and Tom going head to head for some points in name that game. We'll wrap up 
the show as always with the West Ham women's section. Catherine Bat, Daily Mail, sports journalist and WSL expert will join us for an interview. Then we'll wrap it up. We'll say goodbye for another week. Have a little fantasy Premier League update and uh, and throw forward and then bid you all a farewell and enjoyable week as we do every Tuesday night or Wednesday morning, probably, as it will be for you lot listening. But James, uh, I don't know which one of you wants to go first or where to start, really. We've said we'll go Man United reaction first. So I'll, I'll leave it. I'll leave it open. I'll do a nice open question for you at first. Manchester United game. Uh, what were your thoughts before, during and after the game? What would you like to talk about first? Go on, Tom. You go. Yeah, <laughs> itching, twitching over here. Um, no, I'd like to. I'd like to talk about the the way he set up, and obviously, we'll probably get to comments I tweeted. Um, but I think that West Ham fans were allowed to. We're allowed to be a bit frustrated. I think that's four points we've taken from the top six or the so-called big six, and we're a better side than that this year. And I think a few times it has been ultimately down to the the way we've come out and tried to play in the games. We haven't. We have a game playing Noble against Chelsea and playing Nobles United then. We had even more reason at the weekend to go for it. Uh, everyone around us dropped points. We had guard and then some attack players in there and we absolutely didn't really regress and just set up negative when we had a lot of potential and, and we got a lot of pretend that side go up and pick those points up where... It, they're around us now in the league. I mean, you got to look at potential opportunities, and I don't think we. And I think we brought a lot of that upon ourselves, and, and we didn't game, and we didn't look our, our usual selves because the way I think we set up. And it's no David Moyes; he's been super season, and I think people are allowed to allowed the little criticism that they may have after weekend's result. So uh, that was my piece on on the negativity. It's nothing against David Moyes and. It's something he has showed he's got the capacity to go against, like he did against Spurs, and we won that performance against City. I just we could have done more in that game, and that was my my main point. Right. Well, sorry, James, you might have to take a back seat for a couple of minutes then. Uh, we'll dive straight into it. But, Tom, I just think it's just so easy to say that in hindsight, and I just think it, that that argument just shows a bit of a naivety about like the way these teams play football Tottenham were a, a different I disagree no 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 it's not yeah, a naivety. No, but hang on no no, 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 no because I'm saying I'm saying it does because that's exactly what Man United want you to do isn't it that's literally how they set up their team no it's not no it's not long. United love to counter-attack United yeah United love to counter-attack and bring there us you on, go so yeah yeah they love to do that but at the same time City love open spaces and we went there and we gave them problems and Open spaces to is different to counter attacking isn't it City are a possession based team Manchester well, we're United never going to have possession against we're never going to have your possession against United the only way we would have hurt them is by counter attacking ourselves and throwing a few bodies forward maybe get Suchek closer to the play rather than last 10 we've never gone for it we haven't gone for it all season in that manner I'm not saying to stick well, that, seven hang on. Up front right. and try to stick that, that's I'm a they play the way we have all season that's a juxtaposition, though, isn't it? Because you just said that we're, that we're never going to have possession against United. We're only going to score if we're counter-attacking as well. And to counter-attack effectively, yeah. you have to, I'm assuming, sit back and absorb some of the play, i.e., like Man United do, let the other team have the ball and then hit them on the counter. You can't have it, you can't do it both ways, can you? I just think it's so easy against a team like United. You could do it, go for it, like everyone's been saying. And then after half an hour and you're three nil down 
everyone is an absolute disgrace afterwards. Let's have it straight. We, we lost by an own goal, a, a complete fluke, really. It, the ball gets whipped into an absolute bunch of players. Dawson, I, I don't really know what he's doing, but he's ducked his head down. It's hit him and it's gone in. Really, if we'd even though it was pretty grim and not very enjoyable, I mm. kind of thought that was how the game was going to look beforehand anyway. But if we had have come back from Old Trafford with a nil nil draw, I and I'm assuming both of you as well would have been absolutely delighted getting a draw away at the team who are second place, the best of the rest. Uh, yeah, of course, of course, any draw is a good draw. I think the manner, like I said, I think it's I wasn't saying to get plenty of men going forward and kamikaze going for it that's not the way we played all season i'm just trying to hark back to maybe the results we have had against the bigger sides where we've played that extra creative play and we've taken that risk that we haven't against all the other times against liverpool when they had the injuries we sacrificed attacking players and we did this similar midfield and we set up even deeper than usual and and don't get me wrong i totally understand the tactic but we need that link player and we need to counter-attack with pace and we didn't leave much pace out there i know we had antonio bowen's been really out of form and when he stuck those two up front again and it's not the first time it's failed against Brighton with the same thing. And Noble, sorry, it was Bowen and Haller that time and Noble in the midfield. It's not worked. And we tried something which hasn't worked all season. And we've gone against what has worked all season. And we haven't been a free-flowing attacking team, but we have been a team who does take risks and throw men forward from crosses and cross from deep. And that's what I'm trying to say. Maybe the word go for it is wrong, but at least show a little bit more intent in the middle third and maybe have a guy who's going to link the play better. And that would have been a difference, a big difference. Yeah, James, we'll, I'll, I'll let you come in here. I will agree with you on that, Tom. I think we'll, we'll agree that I, I think Noble on the pitch at all is, uh, doesn't bring anything there. And I and I, I do, under, I am also, again, we'll get onto the Jacob stuff in a minute because I particularly liked one of the comments he made, which was met with absolute fury by, by fans about Saeed Ben Rahman, that people think that people are play or think of him as, as better than he's shown at the moment. Not to say that he's a bad player, but I do think like if you compare mine, our, uh, mine and your opinion on Ben Rama, Tom, it's fair to say that you think a lot more of him than I do so far. Yeah. Uh, but I would have definitely played him instead of Noble um, because only because more because of the fact Noble doesn't bring anything. I think we're extremely hampered by not having Lingard or for now. So you were right in what you say about Bowen, but James, um, what, what have you got to, what have you got to weigh in on all of this? Cause I'm not exactly sure where you sit at the moment. I've been too wrapped up in my fury at, at Tom's comments since the game. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, if you sit on the fence, I'm removing you from this <laughs> zoom call. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not sitting on the fence. Um, I think it's, it's unfair some of the criticism some fans have had for questioning the 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 approach to the game. I think given the season that we've had, I think fans have every right to go, hang on, what was you thinking beyond that, Dave? Like, come on. Um, especially given the exact same approach to a game um, has failed at more than one occasion this season uh, against the same opposition and very similar opposition in terms of a top six club. I think fans were, were were looking for something a little bit different in terms of approach, given that that approach has failed before. Um, and all this stuff about well, he doesn't trust Ben Rama to do the to do the leg work in midfield in in, in a system like that. Well, he had Lanzini there um, potentially as an option, um, someone that could link up the play on the counter attack, someone that could you know create something on the counter. Instead, he's gone for Noble, which leaves you no. Know, I, I think Bowen had had a half decent game. Um, he, you know, he got on the ball a little bit, and you know, 
looked like he wanted to, to drive forward and run with it every time. But he's isolated. I mean, he's isolated. Antonio's isolated. You needed someone a little bit more creative. And I, I get the fact that losing four hours to injury was a big blow because he he's, he's, you know, we've said it on, you know, in recent weeks, he's the workhorse in that midfield. You know, he'll run and run and run and run and run. So that that would have that would have messed up with his plans, but I think it's unfair to. I'm just flicking through Twitter after the game, and so many fans who were questioning it were getting getting piled on by other West Ham fans. Going, "No, nah, you're wrong. Like you're wrong. Like we've only lost one at Man United." I think that's I think that's a little bit harsh because you know we've had a good season, and the feeling was United are beatable at Old Trafford. If there's ever a season that you can go to Old Trafford and get a result, it was this season. They've been poor. Mm. Um, and so I think fans were still a little bit underwhelmed given the season we've had and then we've gone to United and, and sat back for 55, 60 minutes and then only really sprung into action when we've gone 1-0 down to an own goal and it was a bit like, really? We're better than that this season. Um, mm. So I, I get the criticism. Um, I also get the slightly get David Moyes' thinking, but the personnel was wrong on the night. That was it. I think... I think yeah, no, the no, no I, I, particularly... Like the the approach really wasn't my issue. It was the personnel, and and I tweeted after the game. I, I didn't tweet any any big journalists or or you know top, <laughs> top West Ham fans. Um, but I tweeted after the game and said, you know, I get, it's it's games like that that you know we'll look back on at the end of the season and and think you know what if what if um, we could come to regret games like that. Both games against United where we've we've messed up. Um, the Liverpool at home, Fulham away. No one mentions Fulham away. And that was when we had Lingard and Fournals on the pitch and we were awful, drew nil-nil. No one was slagging us off then. Um, I think I was. <laughs> Palace yeah. at home, drew, drew one all with Palace at home. I mean, but then we go to Man United away, lose one nil to an own goal and everyone's up in arms. And it's like, well, I don't know. It's, it's, it's fixtures like that that we're going to look back on and go, you know. We've not done ourselves any favours. This is this is the season of all seasons where if we want to break into the top four or the top six, this is the season to do it. And there have been a, a number of occasions this season where we've not done ourselves any favours at all with the you know with either the team selection or the approach to a game. And I think it's probably a mixture of both against United on Sunday. Yeah, I, I do think I, I definitely think that him not having Lingard and Fornells is is huge and i think if if he he plays ben rama instead of noble from the off basically nowadays i think he's always going to get criticized when he starts noble because there's been no reason to suggest that he should continue to do that is there from what we've seen this season um so the lingard and fornell thing i I think that's been overlooked quite quickly as if like that's not had a huge negative effect because like tom said those two are our most informed attacking midfielders. Uh, so we'll just, just move on uh, before we get too bogged down in that particular bit, lads. So I'll read out, um, like I say, Jacob Steinberg, West Ham supporter and a prominent sports journalist at The Guardian. So his, his tweets after the game were, it's pathetic how criticism of Moyes revs up after one defeat at Old Trafford. The reaction to West Ham's performance last night is absurd. It was totally conditioned by the absence of Fournells and Lingard. Agree. Uh, unusually for creative players at West Ham, they work off the ball. Seemed to me that some West Ham fans will never trust Moyes, boring negative dinosaur, etc., and will always be waiting to pile in. They're more comfortable with a supposedly progressive manager who goes for it. <laughs> they're, still, they're still annoyed Moyes isn't playing Zarate. 
Uh, it goes on. It's quite a long thread. Uh, blah, blah, blah. He mentions lost important players to injury. Um, it's normal to be 45th when you have two central midfielders and only one strike with dodgy hamstrings. Blah, blah, blah. The idea you should go for it. Yeah, we've seen that. But this, and then it gets down to the last one, right? And it said, um, uh, it's not ideal that Noble played last night. It doesn't work. But Lanzini isn't the same post-injury, which we're all agreed on. Uh, but I don't think fans will call him for Lanzini instead. Uh, and Moyes doesn't trust Ben Rama, who did nothing after coming on with a lot of time left. There's a view of Saeed Ben Rama that doesn't tally with reality. And of all of the of all of the tweets that that he put out, that one got the most reaction. Uh, Tom particularly, uh, who who said, and uh, I, <laughs> and I quote, I think there's rugby on on the other side. That might be more suitable for you, fella. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> pretty grown up and mature response yeah. from from Tom there. But there was a lot a lot of people piling on. Uh, so this side Ben Rama thing. Let's tackle that one head on. Uh, Tom, we'll throw to you first. You. You do like him a lot. And I can honestly, and I, I've liked some of the bits that he's done, but there are elements, and I do, I'm honestly about 50-50 with him. They're neither one side or the other, which in today's society and particularly with with West Ham stuff, you, you seem to have to always pick a side and be staunchly, you know, right or left or um, Ben Rama or Moise in Moise. You know, you know the score. You know what point I'm yeah. trying to make. Um but with Ben Rama, I find lots of things he's done this year have been really, really promising. But I also totally understand the idea that he's definitely not the finished article, that he that he still hasn't scored for the club. He has laid on a couple of assists, but that he could do more. And I hope, to be honest, that he does do more. So I don't find it quite as mind-numbingly infuriating as lots of people do. And I'd suggest you perhaps more so than me, Tom when he doesn't play or that he's not getting quite as much game time as he is. However, I will caveat that with the other night. I, I, I do think well, you've got to start him then instead of Mark Noble. But he yeah. And, and I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I agree, mate. I'm not saying, I mean, half the reason I love him is because I spent 75 quid on a Ben Rama black kit. But anyway, um, <laughs> no, he's, um, he, I, I liked him before he came to us. I thought he's one of those players who's going to get fans off their seat. He has that ability to go past players on both sides. He does have a skill. He is was for Brentford at least. He was good in front of goal. He took chances and he and he created it. And he's an unselfish player. He's good in the ball. And I think we have seen glimpses of it. And I think just his presence more than anything so far at West Ham has just given us an extra option. It has given space to Lingard. And it's meant that we do keep the ball better in the final third. And we link the play. Him and Lingard have some really nice passage of play. The penalty that we won against Leeds the play they had before that was superb and it's not the first time that they've linked in the limited amount of time they played together so I think he offers another dimension I think he will get they will get used more used to the Premier League and he's got a really really high ceiling that I just think we're not exploring and I've got some stats here from in the 12 games he started this season we've won nine games and we've drawn two and we've lost one in the 11 games he's been on the bench, we've won four, drawn one and lost six. So our win percentage with him is 75%. Our win percentage without him is 36%. And they're pretty pretty damning stats, especially if you look at the United game. Noble hasn't been on the pitch this season from the start when we've scored a goal in the Premier League. So it's just a bizarre one. How And he has clearly made an influence. He has laid on a few goals and he has even against United, that shaft turn and when he was in and he had that cut back and beat the player. 
things like that. And I just think we need to use him more, but I do accept that he's not the finished article. And there'll be times when Fournals and Bowen are better options than him. Yeah, Tom, all right, Lauren, I'll tell you what, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll lock that one in. We'll cement that one because on an evening, it looked like we'd be disagreeing on a lot. I think I, it's not just us, is it? But Ben Rama should definitely have started over Mark Noble at the weekend. And I, I, I do just, what do you find, what do you make of it all, James, that, that, what, what do you think the reasons are then? Because we've gone to uh, Man City and lost 1-0. All right, we've, sorry, lost 2-1, lost by one goal. All right, we scored. And we did give them more of a game, I would suggest. Uh, but give them more of a game in perhaps the way that fans want us to, i.e. we perhaps had a little bit more of the ball and looked a little bit more like putting one in the net ourselves. And obviously we did. Uh, do you find it a little bit peculiar that there's a, a difference in fan reaction when we've gone to both of the top two teams in the Premier League away and lost by one goal on both occasions? I think so, because the the, the contrast in performances uh, and approach have been completely different. And there's a common denominator in, in both of them is that it's Lingard. Lingard was very, very good against City, mm. uh, was was absent against Man United, obviously, because he can't play against his parent club. Um, and ever since he's arrived at the club, every single performance, barring Fulham away, um, with him in the team has been has been superb. The fans have been fans have been loving it. Um, and he gives us that little bit extra going forward. He gives us that little bit extra in possession, and we we lacked that. Um, but no one can then... be blamed for that, can they? Like, that's what I'm no, saying. No, no, but, no. but about fan reaction. But. The, the the fan reaction is that we've 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 not had enough of the ball. We've not. I think it took us until what until after we gone one 0 down to have a shot on goal. Mm. Um, and you know, given the season that we've had, and I said it before, given the season we've had up to that point, we've not been used to performances like that. Um, we've been we've been used to having more chances on goal than the opposition, even if even when we've lost. Um, so I think I think. Probably a lot of it was born out of the fact that fans were just a little bit confused. Just hang on. We're better this than is this. What, yeah. this. This is the 29th game of the season and the 28 games before, we've been relatively good barring one or two performances. And now we've just rocked up to Old Trafford, a, a, a ground where United have been very run, vulnerable this season. And yeah, okay, a couple of, you know, a couple of um, absences in terms of Fournals and Lingard, we've reverted back to almost West Ham of old. And it's a little bit like, hang on, we had a big opportunity here. So I, I, I get why why there was a, a difference in reaction from the fans. But I, I, I'll have to say, I do disagree with Jacob's point on fans' uh, opinion of David Morris. Um, like fans don't want him to fail. No, um, no, no, fan, no, 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 no fan wants the manager of their club to fail. Um, and if anything, the fans are like, just delighted that he's succeeding, not because we're doing well when we've got a chance to finish in the top six, but because of the journey that David Moyes has had, the very unique journey he's had um, since he left Everton, but also his relationship with the club, you know, arrived, kept us up, wasn't good enough, left, came back, kept us up again. Like, I don't think there's a manager, barring that, uh, Slavin Bilic, there's not a manager I've wanted to succeed more at West Ham. <laughs> like, I think uh, he deserves it. And I'm delighted for him so far, but that doesn't mean he's immune from a little bit of criticism when, you know, th things go a little bit wrong. No, um, you're right. Yeah. Like Pep Guardiola gets criticised still. Mourinho gets criticised. He's been criticised his entire career. Mm. He's one of the most well, successful managers ever. Um, so David Moyers, like, yeah, he's had a great <laughs> season. 
it doesn't mean to say we can't have a go at him. You're allowed to have a go at him for starting Mark Noble, aren't you? Let's be honest. Exactly. And that that exactly. will, and no, but you're right, and that will and should continue to happen. One thing, just before so, uh, we move on, because we've got David Bick coming up, lots to cover tonight. The one, do you, I just look back, right, to earlier in the season, that Manchester United game at home, fortunate enough to, to get in uh, to the game and watch that in the stadium. Brilliant experience. And and I I find right with that if you take that game alone, the first half we really went at them and we should have been we should have had more than we did uh, at half time. They looked completely shell shocked, blah blah blah. And then the second half they did exactly what I think David Moyes was trying to be wary of in the, the in the whole game basically at Old Trafford was just hit us on the break albeit the goalkeeper kicked it out of play in the build-up to one of their goals which was outrageous cheating but the the other that we did get stung really quickly by some devastating counter-attacking play by Man United so it, it is one of the I think with with a game like that, whatever happened, if we whatever happened in what like i.e. we got a defeat, in whatever manner the defeat came about, you'd have I think the anger would be equally vociferous. If we'd got done 3-0, people would have been going, What the hell are you doing? Man United are an attacking team, just going at it like that and losing 3-0. And and then and you know, oh what happened earlier on in the season at London Stadium? We we left ourselves open at the back when we had something to protect and and blah yeah. blah blah. Do you know what I mean? I just feel like I, he's a bit damned if he does and damned if he doesn't at the moment. I, I get that. I mean I don't agree with um the whole, you know, we 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 should have gone for it line. But I don't think I don't think any any club can go to Man United and go for it. Because <laughs> they will get they they will get hurt. Like it yeah. does happen. United are probably one of the best counter attacking teams in the Premier League. Um, so yeah, I, I get it. You know, we, we couldn't go for it. But as I said before, the, the choice of that starting eleven basically hindered us from doing anything at all. And that's why we saw the first sixty minutes that we saw. Um, and if anything, he should have, he should have changed it half time. He should have he should have made those changes at half time, um, and he didn't. Um, and so that's why he's getting criticised. But he's not getting criticised anymore. That game's done now. Yeah, we look forward yeah. to Arsenal this weekend. And, you know, the fans, every single fan's behind him. There's not a single fan out there that wants him to fail. So, yeah, yeah we, we put it behind us. We move on. Absolutely, mate. Well, uh, look, we enjoyed having Jacob on when we had him on before. He was very gracious when he came on the podcast. Perhaps we'll put a call in this week and uh, and try and get him on, see if he fancies coming on having a chat because he's always very open to stuff like that, um, you know, and uh, happy to, to back up the, the statements he made, just as Tom Edwards is. Fair play to him. So, uh, uh, James, a quick round of, of Jekyll and Hyde uh, Edwards tweets. I just want to do a before and after. The before one, core, another weird team selection in a game against the top six side. I don't get the way we have say this season one bit, but we can't not trust Moyes. He's earned that respect. Big opportunity. Come on, West Ham. Uh, come on, West Ham in capitals. Just that one as a standalone. Yeah, a little cool. while, a little while later. Nervous tweet. Yeah. Um, 
then what do we have? We are so much better when we play with ambition and have our creative players out there. Every time we've set up like that, we've been poor. There's no doubt we've missed opportunities to have a go against a big six. And also, I'm pretty sure we haven't scored a single goal in any game Noble has started other than Brighton and he was off for both of them. Poor performance. I really thought we'd have shown a lot more than that. Then it just descended into anarchy as it often does with Tom on Twitter. But look, lads, I think we've, uh, we've done that one to death. James has summed it up perfectly. That game is behind us now. A little bit irritating, but at the beginning of the season, Man United away, you'd have written it off as a defeat anyway. We've only lost by one. Our goal difference hasn't got a hammering. A little bit annoying, but onwards and upwards for Arsenal. But stay with us. We've got something a bit different next. Uh, we had Kieran Maguire from the Price of Football on earlier in the season. And uh, we've got David Bick, football finance expert, the ubiquitous David Bick. You'll know of him, <clears throat> no doubt, from Sky Sports news from talk sport five live he's uh, in lots of the papers he's on uh, all over the place he knows his stuff about football finances west ham's accounts got released since we last recorded our podcast some revenue the revenue's down wages are 94 percent of the revenue the highest paid director wage was down slightly which is good as confirms that's karen brady or is it we'll ask david bick all of that next So you are still listening to the We Are West Ham podcast with me, Will Pugh, Tom Edwards and James Jones and a feisty start to the show this evening. Nice to go head to head with Tom Edwards for once about time someone called him out on his uh, online social media activity. So more than happy to provide the public service to the West Ham fans and We Are West Ham listeners and be the one to do that on the podcast. But I'm delighted to say that a little bit of a change of tack now that joining us football finance expert david bick i've had the pleasure of speaking to david in the past as have many others within the football media industry because david definitely knows his stuff west ham's accounts came out last week and they were conveniently wedged in between the two announcements about mark noble's new contract and the fact he's retiring next season and lucas fabianski's new one-year deal as well for any cynics among you that suggest that was done on purpose well, I think you might just be right on that one. But David, welcome to the podcast. Brilliant to have you with us. Just quickly, first of all, so for those of us, uh, for those of us who might not understand as much, or anyone listening, uh, these these accounts that come out there for the financial period, I believe, ending the thirty first of May two thousand and twenty, aren't they? Yes, they are. And good uh, to see you guys uh, tonight. I- the first point I always make about these accounts is that they're already very dated by the time we get to see them. Now, if this was a public company, they'd be expected to get these accounts out within the three months of the period end, which, as you said, was the, you know, just beyond the end of the season, the 31st of May last year. But these are nine months later. We're already nine months through what we call the current year. So with that caveat, um, the headline thoughts on this are turnovers down 27%. We had uh, three months of pretty much of COVID in those numbers. Um, the underlying loss that, that was recorded, uh, operating loss was 25 million. On top of that is 5 million pounds in interest on the debt. Um, and then you had a loss on player trading, um, which obviously means they're investing more in their they're selling, but they had a loss on that of 35 million. So you've got a grand total loss of 65. But what we tend to look at is the 
is the underlying loss, which was 30 million. Now, they are saying, and they don't provide you know, hard evidence of this, but they're saying that the COVID impact on those numbers was a loss of about 38 million. So in other words, they're saying they would have made a small profit if we hadn't have had COVID. Um, and actually, in a sense, what you'd be more interested in is, well, what about this year? Because these numbers are so dated. Um, it's difficult to, you know, they spend a page talking about future prospects, but it's actually quite difficult to really get a handle on what that means in numbers terms. My, if you like, back of the envelope thought on this is that that underlying loss of about 30 million is probably going to get repeated again this year, but there are all sorts of variables. I mean, they will have the income from the games, broadcast income from the games that, did, that, that were stopped when the, when the season was abruptly halted. Um, but obviously, they're still continuing. You've got a full season impact, pretty much, uh, of, of us, the fans, not being allowed into the stadium, uh, and, and the knock-on effect of sponsors and commercial income. So my, if I was having to hazard a Yes, I would say you're looking probably at another loss this year, anywhere between 30 and 40 million. But that depends on a number of things. Right. So so just to, to break the figures down, David, so the revenue figure uh, recorded for that period up to the end of May 2020 was £140 million. Compared to the year before, it was £191 million. That includes, uh, so the, the 140 figure, up to the end of May 2020 includes 23 million in match day revenues down from 27 million the year before, uh, 83 million in broad lost broadcast revenue down from 127 million the year before, 34 million just called commercial uh, down from 36 million the year before. So those slight losses, um, oh sorry, large losses, that broadcast revenue, for example, uh, that although that sounds like a large loss, 127 million in 2019 down to 83 million, they'll recover a significant amount of that, won't they, in the, the next year because um, that, because of the delay to games, they'll recover that money. So they haven't really lost broadcast revenue, have they? Well, there has been something of a rebate going back, or will be going back to the broadcast. So it will, will have had an impact, but what they couldn't account for in the in the year that they've reported up to the end of last season will that will come into this year. But you've got to remember that the, the COVID impact was only for three months of, the, of that year. This year, it's pretty much the whole year, mm. uh, as far as we can see. And it's unlikely to be, that's unlikely to change before the end of uh, May very much. So uh, the way I think I, I'd look at this, and it's affected every club, um, I, I think you are going to see some of the uh, clubs with bigger stadiums and so on, you know, so-called bigger clubs. Uh, don't be surprised if you see several of them reporting losses in excess of 100 million. I think that's going to happen um, for, for, this, for this year. So I'd, I'd, I'd look at it as this is a one-off event in COVID that's spread across two years and mostly this year. Um, hoping obviously that that is the case now this hasn't threatened in any way really the existence of the club but it has made a big dent and of course where you see i mean we, we are slightly exceptional here strangely um but it has had a big impact on the transfer market people have become 
much more cautious, uh, trying to make you amend with players longer than they probably otherwise would be. Um, now, I mean, to be fair, West Ham did strengthen that prior year, but I mean, more recently, spending has been in the transfer market has been very subdued. David, a couple of things from from me. Firstly, it's it's, it's common knowledge that, as you've just said, there's going to be a lot of clubs posting losses this year and, and next year. Um, firstly, how would you how would you rate West Ham's um, handling from a financial point of view of this you know unprecedented situation? Um, they've taken out a huge loan. Obviously, they raised thirty million. Um, right at the beginning as well, and they didn't make any redundancies. Obviously, the players took a pay cut. Um, pay deferral. A lot of other players took. Didn't they? Um, Sorry, to yeah, interrupt. they took. Yeah, took a pay a deferral, and obviously, a lot of clubs during that time, around about a year ago, took a lot of criticism for for making a lot of um, staff redundant or furloughing a lot of people. Um, so that's my first one. But the second one, I, I was looking at. I was reading an article earlier, and they, they mentioned that West Ham's cash levels are only about fifteen million. Um, which for a Premier League club sounds very low. I don't know whether you can shed any light on that, and don't well, know whether it, a, it, is that an alarming? Is should we be alarmed by that? No, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, what people are probably referring to is what the, ca- the cash at bank is showing at, at the balance sheet date, the thirty first of May last year, which was fourteen something uh, million. That's probably what they're referring to, but that's literally a number on a day. Um, the other thing is that since that point in time, and it comes back um, to something you mentioned earlier, James, in June, July, they rejigged the borrowings. Um, so they had a £55 million loan out with uh, one financing company and a £20 million overdraft with Barclays. They've replaced that with a £120 million facility uh, with the private equity firm that uh, is the private thing of Michael Dell, the computer billionaire. Um, now, a number of points to make about that. First is that they're going to use that facility, if they haven't done it already, to pay off the Barclay loan and the 55 million. So there'll just be this, as it were, one side Consolidating, of the sort of. Yeah. Now, the thing that, the only thing that slightly bothers me about that is that you can work out what pretty much what the interest rate they paid on debt last year, but they haven't said, although they've set out this loan that they've taken out with MSD, um, stands for Michael Saul Dell, uh, the loan that they've taken out, they haven't said how much that's going to cost them. Now, the interest that they paid on the, the overall debt, whether they paid it or accrued it, in 1920, was about 4%. And I don't think anybody would think that's unreasonable. But we don't know uh, is, is how much that um, MSD debt is going to cost. Would and that it... will only come out when, when you see the fuller effect of that debt in maybe not even in these accounts, it'll be the ones after that. This may be me being naive on that, David, but surely, just to clarify to anyone listening who's... Um concerned that this is relating to the personal debt that gold sullivan and Bre- uh, sorry gold and sullivan have put in we're not referring to that just at the moment this is another debt that west ham have got but david surely and again if i'm being naive please do tell me but surely the the whole point of doing such a task like that consolidating the debt into one 
a big lump basically would be in order to reduce the interest or make the payments more manageable there would obviously be a, a benefit or an underlying reason for it wouldn't there yeah you're not you're not being naive at all i mean the first thing is those those older bits of debt were due to mature and be repaid so part of this is they had to do something either renew that debt or get debt from somewhere else so some of it was to an extent needs must and and when the, when the market knows that you're coming at them to raise debt because they know you've got maturing debt that can affect the negotiation on on, on what you pay for it uh, but as i say we don't know what that is i mean there's pro pro possibly a perfectly legitimate reason for that and again back to um james's earlier point you know have they managed it well or badly i i think I would say no better, no worse than the most other clubs. I think they, you know, I don't, I wouldn't go out of my way to criticise them for the way they run the club financially in these circumstances. Now, the other thing that we need to take note of here is that at the time they raised that new debt that last June, July, they also put in £30 million by way of a rights issue, new shares in the company. The existing shareholders took that up. Now, it's feasible that the MSD in lending the facility of 120 million borrowing facility, it may be part of, of that, that they insisted that the shareholders put some money in as well. That's entirely feasible that happened, but it certainly happened at the same time. And you've got to say that in reality, you can see that David Sullivan, for example, pays us 51% West Ham. So he's obviously put in something like 15 million pounds of his own money there. Now, the flip side of that is, um, again, coming back to something you, you were asking earlier, uh, Will, about the interest. The five million pound interest bill includes about two million pounds of accrued interest that hasn't been paid yet, that's owed to David Gold and David Sullivan. Also in last year, but but near the beginning of it, so going back to August 2019, they were paid nearly £2 million in interest on, 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 on older crude interest on the debt. So in the year that they reported, they physically paid nearly £2 million in interest to David Gold and David Sullivan combined, and they accrued last year another £1.9 million, £2 million, uh, that's going to be paid at some point. And also those shareholder loans have to be repaid in three years' time. Yeah, but so they, what they've done in the past yeah, is just continue to shift that date, isn't it? And and that's why I think where the frustration comes from among fans is that that I think the, the, the interest they accrue is, is accrued on a £40 million pounds, uh, that they, they've personally lent of, like you said, shareholder loans that Golden Sullivan's money has gone into the club and they're charging... Uh, a percentage, I can't remember it off the top of my head, I believe it's about 2.4%, um, which accrues them that £2 million. It, it's 4%. It's, it's 4%, right, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what, what, why is it? And what fans continue to ask is that A... And I'm sorry, Tom, I know you want to come in here. I've interrupted you twice and <laughs> it's a bit of a trademark right, on, line on. on this podcast. But this is this is what fans will continue to ask, David, with that, that money that Golden Sullivan have put in. First question, 
is why does it need to be there? I did an investigation with my through my professional life last season when the last season's accounts come out. So why is it that, for example, like Roman Abramovich does at Chelsea and several other Premier League owners have done who've poured money into their own clubs? Why is it that they don't write this money off or this debt off or convert it to shares or basically that it's easy or is it easy uh, for them to basically stop taking two million pounds extra out of the football club every year? Well, uh, the stra- you, know, you hit, in a sense, the nail on the head. The, the straightforward answer to that is, yes, it is easy. And you cited Abramovich. Now, what happens, uh, it, it's quite common when new owners come in, buy clubs, that they put the money in or a lot of the money in as debt rather than as shares. Uh, and there's all sorts of advantages to, to doing that. But since then, a number of these club, uh, club owners, like Abramovich, have converted it to shares. So that loan's no longer technically pay- payable. The debt's not there anymore. It's it's uh, a big boost to the club's finances. Now, you know that's up to David Gold, David Sullivan. Are they prepared to do that with what is in effect now forty-four million pounds of their their own money? It, this has been the trend at other clubs. And it would it would be a big signal, um, you know. I think from a fan's point of view, the, the the two Davids would get a big tick in the box if they if they converted that to shares because it's a big relief on the club's balance sheet. There's no doubt about that. Why, why do you um, think they don't, from a PR perspective? Sorry to interrupt you, but I I don't understand why because they continually say we don't take a salary, and then fans are clued up these days. It's not like the old days. Perhaps yeah, yeah. they knew less. Fans know, and they go. Everyone, especially if it comes out on social media, goes, "Yeah, you don't take a salary in as much as like I might earn a pay slip from work, and someone pays my paye, but you you get two million pounds back out of the club between you every year. What? Why That's do you well, think, they, from they, a PR perspective, they continue to do that? I think, is, I mean, who knows? It goes to motive, doesn't it? I mean. Put yourself in their shoes. You put forty-four million pounds in cash into the club. Um, normally, you put your money anywhere else. You expect to get a return out of it. Right now, they're getting a four percent return out of it, so it's not causing them any pain, um, and the money is still repayable. It is. It is quite a big step, in a sense, to say you're going to, in effect, give away forty-four million pounds. That's what you, in essence, you'd be doing. Other than if you convert it to shares, obviously, when the club is sold, the, you you get the value. That's what I was going to say. That. Yeah. Is it fair yeah. to say that they will get that money back when it's sold? Um, I mean, that ultimately depends on what price you get for the club. But right now, what you're asking them to do is say, forget the 44. We're in for that, lads. Um uh, and you know, hopefully, we'll benefit from the sale price somewhere down the road. Um, it's happened to a lot of other clubs. It would be very welcome if that happened here, but you know, it depends what view you want to take. Is it reasonable to insist of someone that they give away forty-four million pounds? It's not entirely giving it away, but it's certainly saying that that, that loan is no longer repayable. Um, I think fans just argue that when you, you're I worth... suppose you've got to you, you you've got to you've got to think you know 
how important is that money to them and mm. getting a return off it? Yeah, two million pounds. Or why not do it as interest free and keep it as a debt, keep it as a loan if you want, and so it, you know, and then keep it as interest free. David uh, Sullivan's worth his net worth's in excess of a billion pounds. David Gold's four hundred and fifty in that region. I think you know, I do think it's reasonable to to expect for for fans to ask. You know, there isn't any need to do it and I, th I think it comes if and I honestly think if they came with that line the PR line of look you know if we put our money elsewhere um, like exactly what you just said you know we would earn an interest off of it this is what we're doing it's you know we're, we're just protecting our money blah 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 and just we're open like that I think when it comes with well we don't take any salary out the club as if like trying to perpetuate that line of we hey, don't take hey, anything hey, out that's hey. what rubs people up the wrong way well I mean, as you said, Will, you're not going to pull the wool over people's eyes anymore. You have to disclose certain things in accounts. Uh, you know, I'm not saying they intentionally do that, but it's, it, it clearly isn't sensible from any perspective to go on about not taking a salary when you are taking nearly £2 million in cash out of it in a year for, from, from interest payments. So they'd be better, either if they're not going to do anything about this, then they're probably better off saying nothing about it. Mm. David, I just that... sorry, oh. David. Uh, yeah, David, I'm just about to get my chance. I had to step step in and for four wheel did again, mate. But um, no, the one thing which took my eye was the wages and and how high they are when you compare it to our revenue in in the upcoming counts. I think we've signed a few more players, and the wages are likely to go go up again. Is is that something yeah. the club and the fans should be worried about because they do seem abnormal abnormally high? Yeah, I think. Tom, it's a good point because uh, I mean, one of the they've actually pointed out what the wage to turnover uh, turnover to wage ratio would have been if we hadn't had COVID, and it would have been seventy three percent. Now, years ago, and you're going to have to forgive me for this, I advised uh, Manchester United, uh, and they consistently um, uh, ran the business so that the wage to turnover ratio was never much more than about 50%. Pretty healthy sort of percentage. Once it starts going up significantly above that, it, it is worrying. Um, and certainly if it gets to 90, 100%, it, it, it is very, it, that, no doubt it's worrying. And what's worrying about it is, is you know, what happens in the event of relegation. Because if clubs don't have relegation clauses in their contracts, with the players, then that can be extremely painful. You're not, you're, your income's going to dip very sharply anyway. But to be fair to them, they have made it clear that you know it's as high as it is because of COVID. It would have been a lot lower. I still think you know, if you if you were running the club yourself, you'd want to see uh, that uh, percentage um, lower than seventy three percent. That's for sure. David, with the with the club fighting to to get into Europe this year. Uh, and everyone knows about the, the 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 financial package that comes with with playing in Europe. Uh, and then you, you you look at the accounts now and, and you know speculate what the accounts could look like in the next one in what what in a year's time. Um, would you say that now more than ever is it's vital that West Ham get into Europe for that additional cash injection, given the the state of the club's debt? Um. The last time I took a really good look, James, at, at the two uh, UEFA competitions, the reality is you don't really make much money in the um, Europa Cup, uh, Europa League, uh, unless you get to the final. 
Mm. Um, so, and, and actually, it, you know, it, just being practical about it, you can see Wolves' performance come off this season, I think in part because they had so many games last season with UEFA participation. So it can have a damaging effect on your league performance. Uh, so I'm not, from a purely financial standpoint, not a huge fan of, of that competition. In the Champions League, you're going to see uplift of anywhere you know, from £50 million, really almost just additional cash. You've got the cost of, you'll have additional player bonuses and you'll have the cost of you know, taking the team to uh, other, other places in Europe. But it's a big financial plus being in the Champions League. And for the so-called big six, being in that top four every year is, a, is almost a necessity. Mm. Um, I, I, you have to take a view whether you think West Ham get in the top four. I can't see that. Um, but I don't... If it was going to be an every season event and the club became acclimatised to it, then obviously you've got the ambition to want them in it and up there. If it's a one-off thing, then you know, watch out for the impact it has in the following season's league performance. Yeah, that's that. just oh, sorry, go just on, just on just on that. Um, so you'd say that even even if we finish in the Europa League spot, which is probably you know more more likely than Champions League, I think Champions League's a very very slim slim chance. Then it's not really going to affect the club's financial standpoint. You know, for the next couple of years, at least. No, no. I think you really only earn serious money after that if you win it. Yeah. Well, there you go. What it it does, it adds a big load to the game load, doesn't it? So you know, thirty-eight league games, and then um, I've lost count how many games you get. There's so many teams in it now. Um, They're only now just down to the last sixteen teams. Uh, It it doesn't give you a big push at all. I mean, it won't do you much harm financially, but it's not. Um, it's not, it's not lucrative. Really. Oh, no. Not really. Well, we'll, we'll just have to uh, do it for the glory. David, it's been absolutely brilliant. Just one more before we let you go, if that's all right with you. Another one that, of course, interests fans. Uh, there's a, a sum, as there is on the accounts every year, that about the highest paid director. Uh, there's suggestion, and everyone is pretty certain that that is, is Karen Brady. There's been never any confirmation, but that is the general belief. There's never been any sort of denial or anything from the the club either. That figure was down slightly this year. So last year it was, uh, I believe, 1.136 million, I believe. Uh, This year it was down slightly. Karen Brady, uh, David Moyes, and the finance director, Andy Mollett, I believe, uh, were the three individuals at the club who took a pay cut as opposed to a pay deferral last summer when, um, when Premier League players or the pressure was on them to chip in financially. Um, the the fact that there's been a slight dip in that figure, uh, the, the highest paid director figure in 2020, it's 1.027 million as opposed to 1.136. Is that as good a confirmation as you can get other than an out and out confirmation from the club that that highest paid director would be Karen Brady? Well, one thing you can eliminate straight away, it, it can only be... a, a Someone who's a director of the club, so you can that, that takes David Moyes out of the equation. He's an employee, he's not a director of the club. Anyone in any regarded in an executive sense is Karen Brady and uh, the the finance man. So 
I think you you know you, you can arrive at your own. I, I mean, I, I've got to be careful what I say because I don't know. But yeah, of course. It, it kind of points in a certain direction, doesn't it? Mm, yeah. No, I, I just wondered if that was because I say the the statement that came out of the club. Um, last year, alongside the there was pressure being put on from from several corners about um, you know what players were the board basically going to match the what they were what the players were being asked to do, which seemed uh, fairly reasonable to to most most fans, me included, in that one to be honest. And when when they put the statement out, they, the club went to great pains, understandably, because it's, it's got to be um, commended that, that Karen and David Moyes and Andy Mollett, I believe, were the, the three who had taken a pay cut. It seemed a bit odd that they were the only ones taking an actual cut um, and then the players well, were the furls, but they didn't, they shouldn't give them grief. They didn't use the furlough scheme or anything like that. Exactly. I think, you know, I mean, the the, the, the clubs that went into furlough and then had to backtrack, I mean, it was, it looked pretty ludicrous, didn't yeah. it? And, and it's good that West Ham did not do uh, they don't appear to have made any extraordinary redundancies or anything like that. And if senior people are at least taking some pay cut, it's a bit of leadership being shown. Absolutely. Um, but, I mean, the proof of the pudding always in these things is usually over a three-year period, you know, what happens in two, three years' time. Um, but uh, I think the other thing you see, you know, I, I can hear from my West, other West Ham mates that you know, how excited they've been, become about how well the club's doing this season and potentially in Europe. But I think you look at the long-term record, you cannot accuse this club of being ambitious for trophies. The performance tells you otherwise. And the fact we're getting so excited about potentially finishing fifth or sixth, in a sense, I find a bit sad. Me too, yes. We, 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 should, we should be a lot more ambitious than that. That requires a very, very well thought out plan uh, and, and and you have to sort of approach uh, who the head coach is and, and who staff are and the whole operation of the club in a certain way if your objective is to be in the Champions League spots. Now, I, I'm not saying it's realistic that West Ham are in the Champions League every year, but you should at least start with that ambition and work to that ambition Yeah, if you're, if you're going to be successful. And I think you know, a lot of us feel, as fat, just as wearing a fan hats, is that, you know, there's it's just almost just so pleased and relieved if we avoid relegation. And that's that's not ambition. That wasn't part so, of the implicit deal, was it, when we moved to the London Stadium? Well, I, I, I mean, I, we're going to be opening up a big, big subject, <laughs> subject here, and it's a complicated one as well, but... Uh, I, I'm no fan of the London Stadium, and I'm sure there's a lot of fans who feel the same way. But you know, OK, it's a big stadium, takes nearly 60,000 people. But if you're going to be ambitious, that needs to be reflected in the level of coach that you've got, um, the amount of investment you make in your academy, because you do need to cultivate homegrown players. I know we're in a very competitive market, but you know, uh, I can remember when every West Ham player didn't come from more than a few miles away. Uh, We've you know, got Pat Holland on later in the show. Well, I, I, I mean, I'm a big, big fan of Mr. Holland and watched him many times. I do give him my, um, my best and speak to him. 
Yeah, we will we'll do. David, it's been absolutely brilliant having you. I really appreciate you giving up your time to come and chat to us and break down some of these figures. I think worth remembering as well, lads, that uh, Philippe Anderson and Sebastian Hilaire have been off of the wage bill. Sebastian Hilaire permanently, Anderson obviously temporarily at the moment. Hopefully, if we can get shot of him at the end of the season, that'll be good news. And that's the best part of sort of you know 300 grand's worth of wages every week so that can't be a bad thing but david uh it's been absolutely brilliant having you on with us tonight we do appreciate it we hope to have you on again uh whenever there's another west ham financial issue that needs tackling uh great to have you and we'll give your best to pat but stay with us because we've got the betway charity bet section next So, football finance expert David Bick there. Absolutely brilliant to uh, dig into something a little bit different on the podcast, boys. Some interesting revelations from David there. And, uh, yeah, we'll continue to to dig into things like that. Uh, hopefully uh, informative for you guys listening at home. But, lads, uh, on to more pressing financial issues. Uh, the Betway Charity Bets. The section is back. We had no wins at the weekend at Man United. It was one of those games, wasn't it? It was a bit of a blur game. I had Antonio to score less than 3.5 goals and more than, or at least one penalty awarded. I had a feeling with the less than 3.5, it was going to be a bit of a drab affair like that. Um, Antonio didn't really come close to scoring, did he? And there wasn't really any contentious penalty shouts either. James, what did you have for United last week? Uh, I had Suchet to score, uh, both teams to score, um, and I went a little bit different with the draw at half-time, which, which I was obviously correct with, um, and then West Ham full-time. But when it went nil-nil at half-time, I, I, I was pretty sure the bet was out, um, given I had both teams to score as well, and I needed, I needed us to win in the end. Mm, yeah, that would have been a bit of a long ask. Tom, you had both teams to score, West Ham to win, and Antonio, first goal scorer. Once again, I think we uh, we all fancied Antonio. We all fancied West Ham to do a little bit, really. Um, yeah, unlike us to bet that West Ham will have no shots on target for the entire game and generally be a bit rubbish. I don't know if that's a selection that Betway do on their website, but perhaps we should start asking Chad if we can uh, back that. But a bit more positivity, lads, like James said earlier in the show. We forget about the Man United game now. That is behind us. Uh, and looking ahead to Arsenal, just a reminder to anyone <clears throat> who's a first-time listener to the podcast or to those of you who aren't first-time listeners who just might have forgot. Uh, we and me and the lads, sorry, are raising money thanks to a £50 charity stake that we each get from Betway each week. So we put £50 charity money on each West Ham game Premier League only throughout the season and any winnings from our three selection bets go towards the charities that me and the boys are playing for. I'm playing for Bobby Moore Fund. James is playing for the Dylan Tombides DT38 Foundation. Tom is playing for Isla's fight. Betway have kindly agreed to double any winnings, uh, any money that we win throughout the season. We're doing all right so far. I think we had Bet uh, Rib, sorry, the Ribman on earlier in the season who won about 1,100 quid. I had a big winner with uh, Ogbonna scoring and West Ham winning earlier in the season against Aston Villa, I believe that one was, which is about 80, uh, 1,300 quid, something like that. Uh, yeah, I think we're up to about six and a half thousand quid all in, James, aren't we, that we've raised so far this season, which is brilliant stuff so far. Uh, hope to do that again this week. Tom, we'll go to you first. What have you gone for for the Arsenal game? 
Yeah, this week I've gone uh, both teams to score. West Ham to be winning at halftime and a draw at full time. Um, I'm desperate for one. It's really doing my head in, um, not getting another one over the belt. And I just think this week might be a week we get pegged back. I think it could be a bit of a challenge and they're informed. So I'm going a little bit safer. I'm not depending on Big Tom getting his nod, nod on one because that seems to let me down one too many times this season. Oh, fair enough, mate. Fair enough. Jonesy? Yeah, remaining positive, I've gone West Ham to win um, over eight and a half corners. And I've, I've gone for two goal scorers this week, uh, Jesse Lingard and Mikel Antonio. Yeah, Antonio scored against Arsenal at the Emirates beginning of the season. Um, I just think Jesse Lingard's always in that, always show, shows something in him that looks like he gets score sheets. So I'm back in those two to, 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 to win me some money. And he's going to be showing David Moyes exactly why he needs to be in that team every single week, as if the uh, the team at Man United didn't show him that anyway. So you don't reckon then, lads, that he'll be sticking with Noble after the performance at Old Trafford? Please. I love him, but please. <laughs> James not even dignifying that with an answer, just rolling his eyes into the back of his head for any of you not watching this. On YouTube, uh, lads, I've gone for West Ham to win, Lingard goal or assist and a goal in each half. So probably a little bit cagey than you two. I'm with you, Jonesy. I fancy Lingard to come back with a bang. And yeah, I, I fancy we'll have enough. I know I went one all when we were speaking to Pat Holland just now. But I think for the purposes of the bets, the odds are always a little bit better. Uh, we've been good at home this season. I'll be, I'll be surprised and very disappointed, but surprised particularly if we lose. Um, watched Arsenal against Tottenham at the weekend. They were okay. They were reasonably good. I'd be reasonably pleased if I was an Arsenal fan. Thank God I'm not. But um, if I was, I think I'd be reasonably pleased. So I think it'd be a challenge. But um, yeah, I, I fancy he's come away with some points. But uh, yeah, fingers crossed for a big game from Jesse Lingard then to give me and you a chance there, Jonesy, with your 120 to one shot or whatever that's going to work out as. Uh, but Chad will let us know what the odds are for those later in the week. We'll put them up on our Twitter account at we are underscore West Ham. And you, as always, can, if you like the sound of any of those bets, back them for real for yourself on the Betway website or app. Just go to the West Ham v Arsenal game, find the pre-built bet section, scroll down, you'll find the We Are West Ham bets and you'll have my name, Will Pugh, James Jones and Tom Edwards against the bets that we've just read out then. And like I say, you'll be able to back them yourself if you so fancy. Lads, uh, fingers crossed this week. It's been a few weeks, hasn't it, since we've pulled any money in. Uh, I think we might have a we might have a guest bet coming up, and uh, that seems to be the only time we actually do well with these things, doesn't it? When we uh, <laughs> when we get someone else in the rib man pulling the second biggest win of the season when he came on earlier in the year. But fingers crossed. But uh, we've got next up is a brilliant guest, first time uh, debutant on the We Are West Ham podcast, a West Ham United FA Cup winner from 1975, won the Cup Winners' Cup as well the following year. He was a former scout at Arsenal, and it's Pat Holland. That's coming up next. So that was the Betway charity bets there. Fingers crossed me and the lads can win some money for our charities and the Arsenal game at the weekend. I'm delighted to say that joining us for our opposition view to look ahead to that game is former West Ham United FA Cup winner and ex-Arsenal employee as well, Pat Holland. Pat, it's absolutely brilliant 
to have you with us. It's been 46 years since the uh, cup final win for you with the Hammers, 30 years since your last appearance for the club. How do you, how do you look back on all of that now? Yeah, um, well, obviously with great memories. Um, a lot of injuries during my career, which was disappointing. Um, highs and lows. Um, I mean, I played in the 75 Cup final and the 76 Cupman's Cup final. Missed the 80 through injury, which was, was quite sad. I was disappointed. Obviously, uh, great for the lads that played. But when you're sitting there and you're watching it and don't feel part of it, it's very, very difficult. You ask any player. They want to be out there and they want to be performing. So, but when you weigh it all up, um, no, the tremendous time at West Ham. Yeah, the uh, the sort of Jimmy Greaves in the World Cup final sort of feeling. Did it make it a little bit easier to take missing out on that 81 because you'd already had the experience or were you just as cut up as you would have ever been? No, absolutely cut up. Uh, I'd, I'd missed the, um, we played Aston Villa and John John uh, dropped me for that game and brought in Jeff Pike. Um, and then he brought me back for the semi-final against Everton. Um, I think, I'm not sure whether I played a couple of weeks before. I'm not sure. Uh, but he, he had this uh, way of bringing me back for important games. And um, so they were a good Everton side at the time. Uh, I think we were still in the second division, weren't we, Will? Mm. And... Uh, so I played wide right, and then with about 15 minutes to go, Andy King, who I got to know really well afterwards, because uh, he scouted quite a bit, Andy, uh, caught me with a, a bad tackle. And Stuart Pearson had already gone off injured with about 15, 20 to go. So I couldn't go off. I had to stay on, because that was the only other one subs in. Yeah, yeah. And I was in agony. My ankle blew up like a, you wouldn't believe. Um, it was quite funny, really. We had a, a chap who's been in the news quite a bit recently, a chap called Jack Leslie, who was a, a, a black player in the 30s and 40s, I believe. Anyway, yeah, Jack, yeah, come, I do. yeah, I was a lovely, he was a wonderful man. He came as the boot man, Jack. He was a grey haired old chap, lovely, lovely fella. And uh, for some reason, he took a shine to me. I think it was because I was playing wide right in the reserves at the time, and Jack was a winger for uh. For Plymouth Argyle, I'm going to have to make that sure. I'm sure it is. I'm right. Uh, I should have played for England, they tell me. Um, anyway, Jack suggested that I go down to South End because my ankle was so swollen and go in the sea. He said, and that reduced the swelling, Patsy. So I went, all right, Jack. So I've driven all the way to South End. It was a horrible day. It was freezing. So I've rolled my trousers up and I've gone in and also I've gone wallop straight over Pulled my clothes on the lot to see Jack the next day. And it go to Patsy. Not so good, Jack. Not so good. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, I, I say you talk about Jack. He played for Crystal Palace for a long time as well, I think, um, a while before. But yeah. 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 I, 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 he was a wonderful man. And all the boys loved him. He was just, uh, I mean, he had to be well into his 70s then. Yeah. And, uh, and like when you think, You'd see him in the old boot room and they'd have the old stuff, knocking the, the studs in and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, a very, very popular man amongst the boys. 
Yeah, yeah, I know he was uh, he was in the news recently. You're right, I remember reading some bits and pieces about him. But Pat, look, in your uh, after you you retired from from playing, I am interested. Uh, just doing my research as I always do earlier on, you played in Hawaii for a bit. But the uh, the reason we've got you on tonight, um, as well as obviously want to hear about your time at the club, which is great. You did used to work for the Arsenal with West Ham. We've got them. Uh, at home, Sunday, 21st of March, three o'clock kickoff London Stadium this weekend. It's a huge game, looking to bounce back after the Manchester United defeat. But uh, you did work for Arsenal for quite some time. What was, what can you tell us about your role there and, and how involved you were at the club? Um, what it was, once I packed in playing, I went into coaching straight away. I had numerous jobs. I was at Leighton Orient, uh, Queen's Park Rangers, uh, went back to the O's and then on to Tottenham. Uh, but during that time, a, a good friend of mine was, uh, first of all, was youth development officer, Steve Rowley. He was a massive West Ham supporter. I shouldn't tell everyone that, being an <laughs> Arsenal man. Um, and then when I, I lost my job, uh, my, my job, I'm trying to think where I was at the time. I might have been even been at Tottenham and lost my job there. And uh, Steve brought me onto the scouting uh, side of it for Arsenal. Uh, I was doing a bit of part-time work there. I was working in a school in Watford for about three years. And then he phoned me up one day. I said, look, Pat, I want to take you on full-time. And it was great, you know, just to get out and be back in the environment that I enjoy. So I worked with Steve there for nigh on nine years, I think. Wait, uh, what sort of era was this, Pat? Just sort of roughly years-wise? Well, only recently. So you're looking at uh, 2000, 2010. So I, I was doing a bit of part-time scouting and then I went there full-time around about 2012, around about that time. So I eight years of doing senior scouting for Arsenal. Great stuff. Pat, uh, moving on to sort of West Ham this season, um, obviously we've almost shocked everyone in terms of, you know, we're into the season and everyone expecting us to, to be in a relegation battle and instead we're battling yeah. for the top four. What have you made of the transformation that West Ham are currently experiencing under David Moyes at London Stadium? Yeah, it, I, I'll, I'll be straight with you. I haven't seen a lot of them. I watch snippets of football now. and I'm, That's not because it's West Ham. It's most sides. I watch it for about 10. I think I join the general public. If you've got uh, Sky and BT Sport, you keep flicking around. But the way I've looked at them at the moment, they're... They're very, very well organised. I mean, they've got, uh, whether users are back four or back five, I think the, the the ones that really stand out for me in their success would be the holding two players. Um, is it Suchak? The, yeah, the lad? Suchak and Rice, yeah. Yeah, Declan Rice, who's come on a ton. I mean, I watched Rice as a kid at 17 playing for Chelsea, and I weren't sure about him. He really? played centre yeah, I didn't think he was dominant enough in the air and his pace worried me. And I always felt his best position would be in sitting in front of the back four. And when he first got into the side at West Ham, if I'm right or wrong, uh, he did play as a centre-half in a three uh, with the Argentine manager. Yeah, he played uh, under yeah. Pellegrini. He sort of dotted yeah. around a bit, didn't he? Yeah, exactly. And then, then they put him in front of the, the back four or whatever they were playing at the time. And because he's tailor-made, he's, I mean, he's... He's very good at what he does for me, you know. And um, but those two for me are the ones that are a big factor in the in the development of the side because they give them stability. You know, Rice ain't going to go flying about all over the pitch. And the other lad, I'll see his debut. He played against Brighton. I was there doing a match report on Brighton that day, and he impressed me with his movement into the box. 
So again, good size, good physicality. So I think that's one of the main reasons for me. Keeper obviously has done excellent. Uh, Antonio up front is a handful. Um, and they've got boys playing around Antonio that can create. They can be creative. Bowie and the lad from Brentford. I'm not so sure. I don't know enough about the other lad. Is he a Spaniard, the other boy? Yeah, Fornells. Yeah, yeah, Pablo Fornells. Yeah, again, when I talk to my mates, they go, he's a very creative player. So they've got a good balance, you know, and uh, he's, he's done really well with them. Pat, looking at the Arsenal, flicking the switch back to the Arsenal, what have you made of them this season and sort of under Arteta, really, since he's come in? What, what have you made of the club in this last sort of 18 months? Yeah, it's it's a, it's an interesting one. They, um, I mean, I always felt when I was there, I, I mean, I used to go in, oh, I've lost you. You're back, you're back, yeah. Um, I would go into the, the, the Chief Scouts room, Steve Rowley, we'd sit there and have a cup of tea, and now and again, Wenger would walk in, Arsene and Wenger shut the door, and that meant he wanted to talk football. And I felt one of the things the Arsenal always lacked was a holding midfield player. So their attacking flair was fantastic. They could get forward and, and create, be creative. But for me, always, always vulnerable on the counter-attack, especially down the sides. And I made the point of saying to him, uh, you know, do we need a holding midfield player? Sorry, Laz, something's come up on my screen. I'll just... That's all right. Yeah, that's normal. We're fine. Um, so I look, I think at the moment he's, he's looking at the side and he's trying to get some sort of stability in the side at the moment. They've got creative players. We, we know that. And the youngsters have come in, have done really well, really well. I mean, when you consider, I think Smith Rowe would only be 20. Saka would be 19, 20. Mm. Um, the boy from Real Madrid, I don't know enough about, I'll be honest with you, but he's only a youngster. So they've got some very talented young players. I still think they need that stability of a, a good back four. I mean, I went and watched Tierney play on two occasions, and I thought he was a, a good young player. And I think he'll be the next captain of Arsenal, personally. But I still think Arteta's got work to do there. I'm not sure if they're the finished article at the moment. Pat, how, how much involvement did you have, or, or what involvement, if any, did you have with with some of the the young guys who are coming through at Arsenal at the moment? No, none at all, none at all. I, yeah, because they, I, I had a spell when I coached there, at the side I coached. Funny enough, I was only there for three months, um, and the boys that come through that group would have been Alex Awobi, who's at Everton. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, uh, who's the lad at Newcastle? Willock. Uh, Joe, Willock. Joe Willock. No, no, no. He, he come from the Arsenal and he he went to Newcastle, holding midfield player. Oh, Isaac Hayden. All oh, right, yeah, yeah. All oh, right. Isaac Hayden was in that side. Alex Awobi was in that side. They were the two that come through in the group that I I was with for about three three or four months. Um, but other than that, all I would be doing really would be out looking for talent for Arsenal. Uh, they give me the job of looking at under 23 talent, which is quite interesting because I looked at some really good players mm. and took them down. Uh, I'd be, you'd be quite shocked at the boys I'll name you and I went, I'm not sure about. Um, yeah. But it's quite. Where shall I start? Um, yeah. Deli Alley. So these are players you said you weren't sure about? Oh, well, in my mind, I was sure of that. All yeah. right, go on, go on, yeah. But obviously, Deli Ali, I see on numerous occasions, he was in the 20, under 21s in, 
And then K Don's only yet they they played friendly games. They were in the Hertfordshire Cup and stuff like that. Sometimes I'd be the only person there watching him scout wise. And I just didn't think he had enough. Uh, he played as a holding midfield player. And I wasn't sure whether he had enough mobility or the will to be uh, a player that was going to get close to people and close people down. I always felt he had to be an advanced midfield player. And that's the reason I think. Jack Grealish, I was never sure about. Um, I felt wonderfully talented player, um, but went down too easily. Uh, I think the best player stay on their feet and get on with it. Uh, obviously, he's done fantastically well, and but I, I think you've still got to see the best of him and, and see if he can become maybe more simplistic in his game to be a top, top player. And then the last one I throw at you is Madison, who I watched at Colchester on a lousy, rainy day at the training ground. And he had a little headband on. <laughs> I looked at him, uh, talented. And I said to the Chief Scout, Steve Rowley, look, we need to look at this kid. He's got something. I'm not sure if he's got enough to be a top, top player in terms of all-round game. And then he went to Norwich. And, and back we followed him up right the way through his career. Uh, so we had opportunities of going for him, but there was still that just that slight doubt about him. And now, of course, they're lining up. But yeah, these yeah. are in, in scouting. You know, I think at the time, when, when you're working for a real top club, if it was the Arsenal at that stage were... They weren't at their best, but they were still looking for the best talent. And and unfortunately, when you're at a club like that, you sometimes you can be too critical of young players. I always said to Steve, now and again, we need to have a gamble up. Yeah, in other yeah. words, um, and a gamble up these days is a million pound. It's not like hundred thousand; it's a million pound. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You have to you have to take into consideration. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they, I, I guess that we have uh, we have Tony Carr comes on the podcast quite a lot, and uh, he was obviously responsible for bringing through a load of young players at West Ham, that golden generation, so to speak. But you know, there's obviously sure. a few that that got through the net. Chelsea let Declan Rice go at 14, and they're looking at you know, there's reports suggesting they want to pay a hundred million pounds to bring him yeah. back now. So it's uh, you just never know at that level, I guess. Look, Pat, it's, uh, it's been great to have you with us. Just looking ahead then to the game at London Stadium on Sunday. How do you, how do you see that sort of playing out? Well, it, uh, for me, if West Ham do it right, I think they could win the game. You know, I was going to say with a crowd behind them, but obviously <laughs> yeah. um, they've been a strange side when either I played against the Arsenal, I think away from home, we didn't have a, didn't have a great track record against them. At home, it was half and half, really. We'd sometimes win and sometimes we could lose them as well. So I don't think our track record over the seasons has been fantastic. But I just think at the moment, West Ham on a real run. And I think Arsenal be, would be quite fearful of them. you know. And I think up front, if he's fit, Antonio is a handful for anybody. They're nice and solid at the back now. If they can get those little opportunities, it'd be interesting if he sits back like he did against Man United or he, he, he thinks, well, let's go for it. Because they'll be frail, Arsenal. They're, they're, they've got their problems at the back as well. So I want to go for a West Ham win. A West Ham win. We get a score prediction out of you there, Pat? 2-1. Two, 2-1 one. Two, one to West Ham. Excellent stuff. James, Tom, uh, before we let Pat go, what are you saying? James, I'll throw to you first. What's your score for West Ham Arsenal Sunday? 
Yeah, I, I agree with Pat. I think I think Arsenal will will probably be very cautious of of, of West Ham given the form that we're in. Um, and the way we've been playing at home in particular this season, we've been very solid uh, in Stratford. So I'm going to go. Pat's already gone two one. I'll go. I'll go three one West Ham. Three one to West Ham. Uh, I'm going to err on the side of caution a little bit, just for a change. I think Arsenal will be buoyed by their performance against Tottenham, uh, but I think we'll we'll have enough to to not lose. So I'm going to go one all. Uh, Tom, over to you before we say goodbye to Pat. Yeah, you've you've just nipped my result, Will. So I'll go I'll go two two. I think it'll be a good game. Um, but I just feel like like you said, they're in a bit of form now, and I think they might just haul us back in, but we'll take the lead. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Pat, look, before it's been absolutely brilliant having you with us. It's not often uh, on this program we get to we get to welcome people who've won an FA Cup with West Ham. So it's brilliant to have you on, especially as you work to Arsenal as well. What's your what's your uh, sort of the, th- the the player or the biggest name or whatever that you had something to do with uh, at Arsenal? Are you sort of most proud of your proudest achievement, if you will? Um, I'd, I'd rather go back to when I coached at Tottenham. And I'll give you a list if you want. <laughs> nah, it, I don't think it's. I think it's who you work with. I think basically, I think the players have got. They're the ones who've got to come through. So the boys I work with, I'll give you four quickly. Would be Sol Campbell, um, Ledley King, Nicky Barnby, Jamie O'Hara, all come through. There's a list of them, you know. That yeah, I was yeah. fortunate. Uh, Peter Crouch. To have to have something to do with those boys in their career, which is it's, it's great. And when you see them, there's always smiles and it's lovely. So that's yeah. the main thing. I do speak to Tony Carr about it, just being part of it. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Pat, it's uh, brilliant to have you on. First time on the show. It's wonderful to have you. Thank we you. definitely hope to have you on again later in the season, but uh, especially as you're going to go for 2-1 wins to West Ham when they play Arsenal. That was uh, West Ham FA Cup winning star, former scout Arsenal, Pat Holland. But stay with us because we've got Name That Game next. So, Pat Holland there, lads, what a delight that was, eh? Like I said, I, I feel like I've said this quite recently, but it's with the best thing, bar none. I love you two a lot, but it's the best thing about this podcast for me is getting to talk to people who've pulled on a shirt for West Ham or, you know, played a couple of games here and there, played seasons, been coaches, whatever it is. But uh, to win the FA Cup, we are only saying it last week, weren't we, about Noble, what it must be like to live his life and be captain, blah, blah, blah. But to have won the FA Cup with West Ham must be quite something. Pat talking there about the uh, disappointment of being injured for that 1980 game and, uh, you know, what an achievement that would have been to have been able to do it twice. But Josie, you, um, you're you a bit uh, surprised by Pat reeling off all the players that he he, he saw and watched in his time as a scout and uh, and didn't rate. If he, like, doesn't want to have a, doesn't want to be employed anymore. Yeah, you, normally when you, when you talk to scouts, you know, they'll, they'll tell you about all their success stories. Uh, but instead, Pat, Pat was um, very modest and, and admitted that he didn't rate Deli Alley, James Madison, or Jack Grealish, and um, yeah, I thought it was an interesting approach. But um, clearly, had a, uh, I suppose, with Jack, was it Jack Grealish or even James Madison? He said that he saw something in him, just wasn't sure whether whether he had that that sort of that ability to make it. Um, I suppose it is a bit of a grey area. So, um, so yeah, uh, still still was watching some very very talented players. 
went during, think, his, during his time. Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there, James. I think it's, it's the humbleness of the man, I think. I met him a few weeks ago, um, just co- coincidental meeting, and he couldn't have been nicer. He agreed to come, told him about the, the podcast as well. Was, couldn't agree to come on quick enough. And uh, I think you've you've hit the nail on the head then. Just very modest, very humble man, and would rather, um, yeah, sort of talk about those those players there that, that he's seen, but what a life, eh? What a life to have to have led to play for play for West Ham and then be coaching and, and scouting, going to watch football games for a living from there on after. I tell you, uh, that's, that's another man who I'd definitely swap with. But look, now it's competition time. Enough of that nice, light-hearted, nostalgic stuff on the We Are West Ham podcast. It's down time to get down to business. James Jones, well, he's got his business face on. He's got his business face on, his business jacket on, zipped up to the top. He's just casually, nonchalantly looking out the camera, pretending he doesn't care. He knows he knows that it's getting to that crunch time in the season. He knows he's bottom of the leaderboard in Name That Game. The scores as they stand at the moment are Tom Edwards on 37, me in second place on 35, and James Jones bottom, like I just mentioned, on 33. James, you need a big week this week, don't you? Otherwise, it could be that time, a bit like West Ham women, where you get cut adrift at the bottom. Yeah, desperate for it to be fair. I mean, I got got a win last week, but it was narrow, wasn't it? So, um, I need I need a bit of a whitewash today. Yeah, you got the tiebreaker, didn't you, last week against me? Very, very unlucky. Uh, Tom, you're sitting pretty at the top. Um, how are you feeling? Yeah, mate, I'm not going to lie, I'm still nervous. We've seen this game can uh, swing in roundabouts. I was cut adrift no more, no more than a few weeks ago, so I'm on my A game, fingers crossed. Absolutely, mate, absolutely. Well, look, each week, the Quizmaster, which is me this week, picks a West Ham match from history and collates seven pieces of information about the game. The lads get one point for each piece of information they guess before the Quizmaster has revealed it. Those seven pieces of information are obscure fact about the game, the scoreline only, one opposition goal scorer one West Ham goal scorer at the stadium in which it was played West Ham's opponent and the season it took place uh, if it's still a draw at that stage it goes to the tie break and we need the exact calendar year the game took place no more faffing around James Jones does not look like he's in the mood to listen to an extended introduction to name that game he wants to get down to it he knows that this is the stage of the season that it really matters so let's have it James and Tom the obscure information about this game is that the opposition had a player who had two spells at West Ham before leaving the Hammers to join this team oh James getting disgruntled already shrugging his shoulders almost suggesting Uh, as if I'm going to get that but Tom Tom Edwards you want to guess at the scoreline uh 1-1 1-1 Tom Edwards that is incorrect James uh uh, I haven't got a clue I'm thinking the players that have two spells at the club um I'm going to go 2-0 2-0 James Jones 2-0 is incorrect the actual correct scoreline was 3-1 so I need an opposition goal scorer next up. Tom, it is you to guess first if you want to, but both men itching um, their chins at the moment. Doesn't look like their minds are awash with answers, but we'll throw to Tom first. Um, Santi Cazorla. 
Santi Cazorla, Thomas Edwards is incorrect. James Jones still doesn't look in the mood for me faffing around and playing with his emotions. 3-1. Blimey, the the zip jump has gone over his mouth now. The eyes are... are I'm going to go really, really random and say Don Atchison. Don Atchison is incorrect, James Jones. So I'm going to give you uh, an opposition goal scorer was Lee Boya. Thomas Edwards to guess for the West Ham um, goal scorer. Colton Cole. Colton Cole is correct. The first points of the evening go to Tom Edwards. James Jones has got one head on his hand. He's looking to the heavens. He does not look comfortable. It's 1-0 to Thomas Edwards. And James Jones, it throws to you for the stadium in which the game took place. (laughs) <laughs> Grin suggests he still hasn't got it. It's just the stage of the game where it usually becomes clear. Upton Park. James Jones goes with Upton Park, and that is incorrect. James Jones still on zero after stage four. Tom Edwards, it froze you to make it 2 0. The stadium, please. Is it St Andrews? The stadium, Tom Edwards goes St Andrews. It is St Andrews. That's 2-0 to Thomas Edwards. That could be the game. James Jones finally, hopefully, realises who the opponent was. Jonesy, West Ham's opponent, please, was Birmingham. That is correct. It's 2-1 to Thomas Edwards. Now, Tom, it goes back to you again. The season in which the game took place, please. Um, 2010-2011. 2010 2011 says Tom Edwards, and bang, that is it. He picks up his third point of the evening and the metaphorical three points because that is the victory. It's 3 1 to Tom Edwards. James, what happened? You didn't get into it till very, very late. Went up to Park, I assume, because you weren't sure. So you thought you'd play the numbers game. Um, and you, you've, you've come away with a 3 1 defeat, which leaves you still rooted to the bottom of the table. And I hate to tell you, mate, but you are Quizmaster next week. So no opportunity to earn points until the following Tuesday. Yeah, I'm gutted, if I'm honest. Got cottoned on early doors and, yeah. Lee Bowie didn't even enter my mind when I was thinking the players were two spells. So. Um, Tom, what are your post-match feelings there? Um, yeah, a bit like Jones. I, uh, to be honest, I was all over the place. And then Boya was what actually gave it. I was thinking Yossi Benayoun, it might be something to do with Arsenal or that. So Boya just helped me. And I thought the only time he scored against us might have been that game. So extra time, was it? Absolutely, mate. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, it was the so it was the League Cup semi-final. Absolutely heartbreaking. One of my most heartbreaking experiences sporting West Ham. I went up there for the game. I don't know if um, we're either of you at that one. I wasn't sadly no uh, yeah but going up there i think i went on the official coach the official west ham coach that evening and we there was a load of trouble at the ground and we got held up outside for so long the game started and we were listening on the official coach this is as well which was even more annoying you think as it was the official fan coach they'd 
obviously, well, get the fans into the stadium. We were listening to the game, obviously 2-1 lead from the first leg at home. And we were listening to the game on the radio in the coach. We eventually got in there just before half time and we got in there and Carlton Cole scores. And you think, here we go. Happy days. We are going to Wembley. This is going to be wicked. And then, yeah, after that, it just went completely downhill. Lee Bowyer, Roger Johnson and Craig Gardner with the goals for Birmingham Gardner with the, the heartbreaking winner. I think it was Liam Ridgewell leapt like a salmon at the far post, nodded it back and, and Gardner finished from my memory anyway. But yeah, one of my more yeah disappointing games, it was there to be won and we just a, a bit of a vintage West Ham collapse and I was in a bit of a ratty mood before, <laughs> yeah, before the podcast, gearing myself up to have a Barney review too. So it was, um, it, it was a, a West Ham defeat that came to my mind before any glorious victories. Well, talking of glorious victories, Tom Edwards, that was one for you there, my friend. You are the first one of the three of us to break the 40-point mark this season, which is astonishing stuff. James Jones only edges himself up to 34. I'm still on 35. So a comfortable five-point lead for you at the moment. Tom, James, if he doesn't buck his ideas up soon, he will be buying the beers like I had to last season after the uh, at the end of season due after my name that game. Sorry, Rogue Mystery Players quiz defeat on the very last game of that season. Not good stuff at all. But lads, enjoyed that one. James, yeah, your quiz master next week. I've got a couple of weeks off. Uh, next up, we've got an interview with Daily Mail sports journalist Catherine Batt to discuss all things West Ham women. I spoke to her earlier today on Tuesday, so no mention or no, you won't be able to hear from the lads, unfortunately. But Catherine's got the, the lowdown on West Ham women, the situation at the bottom of the WSL at the moment. Huge game. I can't emphasise that enough against Birmingham City at home on Wednesday night in the WSL. Catherine will tell you all about that next. So that is nearly it for this week. Packed show as ever. A little bit disappointing, the Manchester United result, of course, but brilliant to have Pat Holland on looking ahead to the game against Arsenal at the weekend. But I'm delighted to say, as always, for our last section of the podcast, it's the West Ham women. We're joined by a friend of the show, repeat visitor. Uh, welcome back, Catherine Back from the Daily Mail. Catherine, it's great to see you again. Uh, I know you were at the Bristol City-Chelsea game, the League Cup game on the weekend. Bristol City rapidly turning into West Ham's fierce rivals, not only uh, in the relegation battle, but Matt Beard, of course, former West Ham manager, taking charge of them. Uh, Bristol got a bit of a hammering, 6-0 against Chelsea at Vicarage Road, that League Cup game, which West Ham did well to get to the semi-finals of. Lost to Chelsea, of course, in the semis. Uh, what what did you make of the game, first of all? Um, well, it was over in about 10 minutes, I'd say. Um, with, with Chelsea taking the lead after nine, 90 seconds, you thought Bristol have just got to hold on and try and try and keep it at 1-0. And then as soon as the second went in, you thought it was just going to be a really long afternoon for them. And to be honest, I think keep, keeping it to 6-0 was probably probably good with, with how well Chelsea started to be 4-0 up at half-time. And obviously in the second half, Fran Kirby went off and Sam Kerr went off and, and it, it sort of died down a little bit and, and they only got two more in the, in the second half. But I think Bristol were probably expecting, well, they weren't expecting to win, so they were probably expecting to, to get a tough game. They were probably hoping for it to be a little bit of a lower scoreline, but on, on the day, Chelsea were just different class. 
as they as they often are, of course. But uh, like you say, Bristol obviously expecting a tough game, but in reality, obviously a great achievement for them to to get to the to get to the final, just as it was for West Ham to reach the semis. Both teams not having a good time of things in the uh, in the league, of course. And Matt Beard and the Bristol players and fans will inevitably in much the same vein as West Ham have treated the League Cup as a secondary thing and their their main focus will be on the WSL, no doubt. West Ham didn't have a game at the weekend, but they play Birmingham City on Wednesday. Now, I've been trying to think one of the main challenges for this podcast, Catherine, every week is for me to think of a new way of saying this is a must-win game for West Ham women. (laughs) And... We've been saying it for months now. It feels like months anyway. Uh, Bristol, of course, we're actually overtaking them in recent weeks. It's been a definite upturn under Matt Beard. Uh, Bristol now 11th, West Ham rock bottom of the WSL. West Ham played 14 with eight points. Bristol have played the game more, but with nine points. But the way West Ham have been playing, you'd think I'd rather add the points on the board and the extra game. In But this game against Birmingham, like I say, if you can help me with a new phrase for must-win game, then I'll be more than happy to hear suggestions. Birmingham City, their run of form is equal to West Ham's. They haven't won a game since November. Having an absolute stinker time of it at the moment as West Ham are it screams draw doesn't it yeah and I think both teams will be be looking at it as they must not lose if that's slightly different to must must win it's it's definitely you know you lose that I think for West Ham and you start to get really worried um Birmingham again if they lose that that they start to get worried because they can get drawn in still um because maybe a bit earlier on in the season I think once they hit the 10 point mark I think people were maybe thinking Birmingham will be all right now. They'll probably stay out of the relegation battle. Um, but that's like I say, the run of, their run of form and Bristol's turnaround has sort of dragged them back in. And you've got kind of four teams in there now with Aston Villa still um, out of it yet as well. Brighton have obviously pulled clear. Um, but yeah, I think if West Ham can win that, it, it really does put Birmingham in a little bit of trouble. And um, like I say, it, it's I think West Ham need to win it more than Birmingham do because uh, Birmingham will probably take a point. But um, West Ham, they really need to pick up a free point somewhere. And and this is a very good chance to do so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Birmingham are on the back of three consecutive 4-0 defeats to Everton, Arsenal and Manchester City. I mean... What what does your heart of hearts say? How do you see the game going? Because it is huge. I when I know you say it's must must not lose there, but I, I I disagree on that. I think from West Ham point of view, I think you've got to win because they need wins. They need wins to get themselves out the hole. And if they do get the win, they go up to ninth, which uh, obviously it's so close as you mentioned there. The points they'll leapfrog Birmingham because they're on the same goal difference and three points behind them at the moment. Birmingham are ninth, and. I think just that alone, the psychological impact of that will be huge. That that bottom place with the one relegation spot in the WSL weighs on, will weigh on the girls' minds, won't it? As well as Ollie Harder, and so I, I disagree with you a little bit there. But how do you how do you see the game going? West Ham are at home Wednesday night. Uh, how how do you see it playing out? Well, I think um, Birmingham are actually better away from home than they are at home. I know there's no oh, fans. don't say that. Uh, <laughs> I, know, I know the absence of fans doesn't really... Um, so you can't really take sort of home form and away form as seriously as you, as you would do normally. Uh, and West Ham, I'm not sure if they've won at home yet this, this season. I don't think they've won at home um, under Ollie Harder, certainly. About 15, uh, no, 11. Yeah, so, um, really. yeah... Uh, 
I can see Birmingham going up and, and setting up to frustrate West Ham. So I think West Ham will come out and try and take the game to Birmingham a little bit. Um, as we've seen under the, the first few games under Oli Harder, he, he's trying to um, implement that like that high press, um, which we, we, we see a lot of teams doing now. Um, the, the difficult thing for him is obviously I think Birmingham are quite good at setting up and, and frustrating teams. We've seen them kind of, um, I know they've, they've they've lost sort of the last few games 4-0, but I was at their game with Man City and it took Man City to leave like, just, just before half time to actually score despite having all of the possession. Uh, and I think they'll go there to West Ham and try and do the same thing. And, and what West Ham have to do is just try and be really positive and, and uh, not be cautious and, and just try and get an early goal because that will force Birmingham out. And once you... Um, once you can break the deadlock, obviously, uh, it gives them a good chance of um, scoring another on the counter-attack. But um, my, my, my problem for West Ham is is, is the, the goals. I just, I'm not sure where the, the goals of the goal threats coming from at the minute. You look at the other teams down the bottom, Bristol and, and Aston Villa. Um, you know, at Bristol have got Ebony Salmon, who, who is such a threat going forward. And I'm not, I just think West Ham are kind of missing someone like her that you can sort of, rely on or, or sort of put the not the pressure but someone that can carry the the weight of expectation of goals like like Simon can for Bristol you know someone at the moment Catherine who I feel I've got a real empathy for is Martha Thomas I had really high hopes at the beginning of the season I just fancied this was going to be that campaign where I don't know do you know you just get that feeling sometimes mm-hmm. I don't know that it was grounded in much but I just had a feeling that she was going to rise to prominence this year and like play that that number nine role playing out of her skin and start banging them in uh it, it just hasn't really happened uh, can you you know do, is it still is it still naive perhaps to to be putting faith in faith in Martha because you mentioned where the goals are going to come from the other thing I will just add that I've banged on about on the podcast for the past few weeks is that if I see West Ham concede another goal from their left-hand side I'm going to lose my mind. They all seem to be the same week in, week out, the exact same goals. And I'm not just having a go. I mean, I've been quite harsh or I was on Maz Pacheco for a few weeks and, and rightfully so, to be honest, I'm not backtracking on that, but also criticism for the, for the center offs as well. That uh, You know, it just, it's, that's been frustrating the hell out of me. But um, <clears throat> so those, those two points like Martha, Martha, first of all, um, and then the, the the defensive side of things, because I think if you ask me, that's just as much of a problem as, as going forward. Yeah, I think Martha Thomas is, I think there's no doubt that she is a great striker and we've, we've seen it in the past. Um, and I think she's a confidence player. I think um, mm. from, from watching the, the documentary, there was a, there was a clip in, in that where she was sort of talking about um, confidence and she seemed a bit low on confidence towards the end of last season. And, and it's maybe sort of creeped into the start of this year as well. Um, and it just it's, compounds, it's doesn't it? Yeah. And I think the longer you go without a goal, the, the more desperate you become and you start sort of, you know, moving away from the things that you were doing before, you know, you start sort of trying too hard almost. Um, as you say, it's just she needs one to go in and, and hopefully that can kind of set her up. But um, yeah, defensively, I think West Ham are just, like you say, it, it, it's frustrating um, because they, they sometimes the, the constructors of their own downfall at, at times. And um Again, it's it's probably it's a confidence thing with the defence as well. I think sometimes you concede one, and rather than sort of tightening up, then you're more prone to sort of go on and concede concede a few more. 
Um, but there are leaders in that team, you know, Jilly at the back um, is is a leader and is someone that is experienced and um, is someone that you want at this stage of the season in, in a relegation battle. And that's one thing that, that could hopefully work in West Ham's favour because obviously the manager isn't isn't experienced in 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 you know in this country in, in a relegation battle, whereas Matt Beard is is a lot more experienced. And it, it is sort of you wonder whether if Matt Beard had stayed at if he'd stayed at West Ham, um, obviously the results weren't great, but would they still be in this position? Would would they have gone down under Matt Beard? I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure. It's, it's difficult. I think I think the worst thing that happened for West Ham was Matt Beard going to Bristol because I think yeah. I think I think if um, there's no disrespect to Tanya Oxaby, but I think obviously there have been clear improvements um, from Bristol under Matt, and if he hadn't gone there, I'm not sure they would have happened uh, in terms of just sort of making the defence a bit stronger. They've still conceded goals under Matt. But um, apart from yesterday, that you're not getting the, the thrashings as much as you were at the start of the season. So um, it's yeah, it's just a strange one, and it would be kind of you know one of those things if if Matt Beard is to leave West Ham and you know he's <laughs> Send them he's down. not relegated the club by being manager, but going to somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? I, I, again, just on that Matt Beard point, I find that I think him leaving was good. I don't th- I don't think looking back. There's there's any reason to think oh that was a bad decision because I I think it, it was really it was the time felt right you know the 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 methods seem to be the same a bit of Einstein's theory of insanity isn't it doing the same mm-hmm. thing over and over again expecting different results it kind of felt like that the post match interviews felt a bit the same and you kind of think you know what this has run its course this relationship here uh, like Matt Beard with the club but I totally agree I think that that doesn't mean he's a bad manager or anything like that far from it in fact i just think the the time the time was up but yeah the he was almost exactly what a club like bristol needed he was something a bit different and something that the players have have ended up reacting to well look bristol have got their home to man city this week which again you wouldn't expect them to get a result there of course aston villa have got a winnable game against brighton i believe uh, and then in a couple of weeks 28th of march Birmingham face off against Bristol. So from Birmingham's point of view, they could very easily be dragged into it with a defeat at West Ham uh, this weekend. How do you sort of from now until the end of the season, it is getting to that business end of the season, so to speak. If you had to, if you had a fiver now and you had to put it on who's going down, what what are you saying? Because it, it is those two teams. I think Tottenham, it's, it's unrealistic to think the four teams below them will win enough games to drag them into it. So who are you saying is going down, uh, West Ham, Aston Villa, uh, or Bristol City? Well, I was or looking Birmingham, at West Ham's... of course, sorry, or Birmingham. <laughs> I was looking at West Ham's fixtures earlier, and I think you've got to play Aston Villa twice still, um, which could be huge in terms of dragging, you know, which club is going to kind of be pulled further into the, the battle. Um, it, it is difficult. I think a lot... I, I, are a sort of I'm not sure about Birmingham until until this game until they play you. I sort of think a lot depends on that result. If they if they can get a draw or if they beat you, I think they'll be all right. But if they lose that, I think they could really slip and be in trouble, especially with what's going on sort of in the background of the club. Obviously, they've had this sort of having to move their their home fixtures to St George's Park, which hasn't helped them, um, and, and sort of background stuff that just doesn't seem to be helping their situation. I think Bristol will still be in it right until the final day. Um, while they have got someone 
that is great up front, like Ebony Salmon, they are still going to leak goals. Um, it's, it's, it's so difficult to pick one team. I think West, from West Ham's point of view, you want to be safe before the final day because the, the last day is Man City, I think, as it stands. Yeah, um, home, yeah. So you want to be safe before the final day. So a lot could depend on those, those two fixtures against Aston Villa as to whether you are. Because um, obviously Man City probably need something on the final day if they're going for, for the title, which they probably will be, um, regardless of their result against Chelsea. I, I would say, I think... It sounds like you want to say West Ham, Catherine, which you are allowed... <laughs> I think I think if you were if you were going to put a bet on right now, I think you would say West Ham. But I think a lot is going to depend on on Wednesday's game and and whether they can. I think if they win that, I think they'll I think they'll take a lot of confidence from that and that'll knock Bristol. Um, and then you would be looking at Bristol and Birmingham because I think Aston Villa have have shown enough um, that they've got enough to to get out of it unless and I say unless they go on a real slide. Mm. So. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Uh, hopefully, I'll, I'll come back to you maybe in uh, later in the season, and and once we know this this result this week. But um, I, I would say between, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm sitting on the fence really. I've not given you a proper answer. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, I mean, it's it's proper crunch time for uh, excuse my colloquialisms there. Not very professional broadcasting words, but it, it really is. Birmingham at home, Reading away, uh, two games against Aston Villa, one home, one away, and a game at home to Everton. I think those are really the ones that will define West Ham's season. They've got Man City at home, as you mentioned, Man United away in there. But there are teams who who are beatable. It's a bit unfortunate at the moment, that, that sort of complete lack of confidence. But against a team like Birmingham, who are in exactly the same vein of form, I think one of, you know, obviously the worst thing is defeat, but even even a nil-nil or a one-all draw, it's just not it's not good enough this weekend. I think I think if they win this weekend, I think they stay up. I think it's it's as simple as that because I think there'll be that confidence finally. And then going into some games, those ones I just mentioned, Reading Villa uh, twice and Everton. I mean, having Villa twice still is is absolutely huge. Um so yeah, I think if they if they win on Wednesday night, Wednesday night, half past seven, West Ham at home to Birmingham City. But um fingers crossed. Catherine, it's been absolutely brilliant having you with us again. Uh wonderful to hear your experience. Are you going to the game Wednesday or are you posted elsewhere? Um I'll be working working from home on, on Wednesday, but I'll be definitely be be keeping an eye on it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, Catherine, it's been a pleasure. Catherine back from the Daily Mail there. Fingers crossed for West Ham women at home to Birmingham Wednesday night. Stay with us. We have some final thoughts from the lads. The Fantasy Premier League update next. So that is it, lads. Another week done, another show done. Loads to pack in. Very vociferous start to the Wheel West Ham podcast. But absolutely brilliant to have football finance expert David Bick and West Ham FA Cup and European Cup Winners Cup winning hero Pat Holland on to look ahead to the Arsenal game, a team that he also worked for as a scout for years as well. So brilliant to have those guys on uh, Two We Are West Ham debutantes. A great win for Thomas Edwards on Name That Game. Things looking very, very shaky indeed for James Jones at the bottom of the Name That Game leaderboard. We had loads in tonight, boys, didn't we? But look, before we get some final thoughts, before I get some final thoughts from the two of you, we'll do a brief Fantasy Premier League update. James Jones, you've all of a sudden sort of lost that nonchalant 
attitude when talking about fantasy that oh you know the, my, all the reverse psychology stopped now that oh no oh, nah, this season's not the season for me don't worry i've written it off i'm thinking of planning ahead to next year already that stopped because you're edging a little bit closer uh, to me, I'm still top of the our little mini league between the three of us with 1,702 points. I got 44 points this game week. James, you're on 1,679. So just 23 points behind me. Now you lost to me by a point this week on 43. And Tom, bottom of the leaderboard, but the highest scorer this week. You're on 1,648 altogether. You got 54 for the week. Uh, James, you uh, explain to me this attitude change of yours because all of a sudden... It's not such a diabolical nightmare after all. Well, I looked at it a few weeks ago and even I think at one point I was 120 points behind you. And um, I did the maths and I thought, you know what? I think I can still catch him. And then I forgot, didn't I, those couple of weeks? So, um, but yeah, well, you say you forgot. Two, two weeks in a row you said you forgot. But then I noticed there was a mysterious captain change between those two weeks. So you didn't strictly forget. Um, so just a bit of... Um, of excuses coming out there. I think you're getting a little bit worried. Uh, you've led the entire season, and you're going to bottle it. You're going to you're going to spurs it up at the end, and it's going to be fantastic. <laughs> well, as I've said before, James, this is the furthest that I've ever gone into a season while still caring and attending to my fantasy football team. So I'm pretty proud of myself for that. And really, the season ends in about midway through January for me. So the fact that I was winning then kind of means in my head that, that I've won the whole thing. But just, um, Tom, you must be pretty pleased. Again, you've 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 snaked your way into a few points by inadvertently leaving Gabriel Jesus in your team. Don't know why you've got him, but uh, he's, he's done the bits for you. Stroke a genius, man. I think it's four and a half. Oh, yeah, mate. Listen, maybe I should have left my team from the first week and I'd actually be, be in the mix somewhere near the top of the FPL leaderboard. But, yeah, I got this one wrong. Missed, missed the Friday game and it's turned out Trump. So, uh Luck's on my side and I'll be watching behind, mate, because uh, two of us are coming now. There you go. There you go. Well, look, the We Are West Ham Listener League, still led by Tom Connolly and his Romford Rejects on 1,879 points. Uh, Jeremy Pike is in second. Hunt's Hammers with 1,867. And Rudy Eagling, who's a long-time leader, of the We Are West Ham Listener League. Moyes Mavericks is in third now, 1,858. The remaining in the top 10 are Ben Ingram, Barry Lawrence, Luke Bramley, Glenn Thompson, Stephen Coates, Dylan Dench and Matt Bourne. I've dropped to 86th out of, I think, there's about just over 500 of you who've uh, who signed up for the league this year. So, um, yeah, fair play. There's uh, still all to play for. Um, especially according to James Jones, who suddenly started really, really caring about what happens in Fantasy Premier League. A bit of a weird game week coming up, a half a half game week almost, with only four games, I believe, being played. So interested to see how James Jones plays it. He's got that horrible devilish smile on his face that suggests that he, uh, he fancies himself for fantasy for the rest of the season. But look, lads, um, Tom, I'll throw to you first. We've had a brilliant show tonight. Great having two new guests on to bring some, hopefully, uh, everyone at home listening, some interesting content to them. Pat Holland, David Bick, we had our little tete-a-tete on the Man United game. Just give us some final thoughts from, from the show. Yeah, loved it, mate. In particular, getting Pat and David on, just having an insight in a new voice on the pod, it's always a pleasure. And what, Pat is one of 30-odd blokes who can say he's won an FA Cup for West Ham. So it's pretty crazy when you think about it. And he's such a small pool. So to get his insight, and he's a scout, he knows the game inside out, he's superb. 
to get the chance to chat to him. And David, as always, love hearing out the finances, us West Ham fans, because we don't often hear the truth. So to get it from the people and the know is superb. So, yeah, loved it as always, mate. And can't wait for our next Barney next week. Yeah, absolutely, mate. James, was it nice for you to have a night off from uh, from having a scrap with me and hand the reins over to Tom? Yeah, it makes a change, doesn't it? Uh, I think it was only a matter of time the way Tom... Uh, Tom spouts spouts his mouth on on Twitter. I think it was only a matter of time before he annoyed you with one of them. It was all right. Just, you know, <laughs> they all annoy me, but this uh, one in particular. Uh, any minute now, any minute now, Will's just gonna just gonna take offence to one of them and call him out. Um, and and this week's the week. So yeah, I've I've, I've had a, a relatively relaxing evening. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Well, look, it's uh, it's been a great show uh, once again. Uh, just a little bit of housekeeping before we go. Please do follow us on Twitter at we are underscore West Ham. You can, like I said, remember, watch the whole show if you like on YouTube or um, if you just want to some weeks watch back to the certain interviews that we've done tonight. James will be cutting up the those exclusive interviews that we had, one with Pat Holland and one uh, with David Bick about West Ham finances. So if you like the sound of it yourself, you want to watch those back or send them on to friends of yours who might not already listen to the podcast. And you can do that via our YouTube. The link to our YouTube channel is in the description to this podcast. So just scroll down and uh, go head over there and do subscribe. Give us a review as well if you can. Uh, five stars and some nice words on whatever podcast platform you listen on. Same on YouTube. Do get involved. Try to uh, Try to get involved a little bit more. With a few of you getting in touch on Twitter and all that recently, so uh, one of us will reply on the social media platforms if you if you get in touch with whatever it is you fancy. A little bit of uh, abuse for one of us or just some feedback on the games, whatever it is, just uh, get in touch because we, we love hearing from all of you. But that is it, lads, for this week. We couldn't quite do it at Old Trafford. Moyes got a little bit of abuse after the game but as James Jones so succinctly put it tonight we put that behind us and we move on Arsenal at home on Sunday that's a huge game we've been good at bouncing back so far this season boys haven't we so fingers crossed we can do it again Jesse Lingard back we'll see about Pablo Fornells Mikel Antonio I'm backing him to bag against the Gunners as well but fingers crossed we can do it and prove that West Ham are of course the biggest team in London. Thanks for listening, everyone. We do appreciate it. Keep the faith up the hammers and we'll see you next week. Hi, this is Tony Cotty and you're listening to the We Are West Ham podcast. Podcast Network.